As we jump into scripture this morning, if you've been with us, you would know that we are in what we are calling in the fire, the book of Daniel. So we have been going chapter by chapter of the book of Daniel. This week is week four. We've gone over chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and now this week we are going to be on chapter four, which is, this is really an important and really impactful chapter. And we're going to do it a little bit different because you're going to see a little bit um, of a change in this chapter. This, this, this chapter is a little different than what you would normally see or what we have been reading. But we will begin in chapter 4 of Daniel in verse 1. Now, before we jump into scripture, can we just bow our heads one more time and just go to him in prayer? Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you again for the privilege of being in this place today, Lord God, with, with all of the Grace Church family, Lord God. And I thank you for their faithfulness today, for being here all together, Lord God. And I thank you that even that many... Even though that many folks might be tired this morning, although it might have been difficult for them to get out of their bed, I thank you for what you are going to do, Lord God. And I thank you for having them come here, Lord God, to worship you. So, Father, today I pray that just the next few minutes as we move our way through this really unique chapter in your word that, Father, you would just give us something to live on through this week. That, Father, you would use this story, this account of the conversion of a king, Father, to encourage us. So, Father, today I pray for anointing and unction, Lord God. Give me the words to say today. May the words out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be accept acceptable to you, Lord God. Lord, today we ask you to, to be in us and to bless us. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, everybody said. Amen, amen. So Daniel chapter 4, picking up in verse number 1, is where we are going to begin. Now this chapter was actually an official Babylonian document that was written by whom many believe to be the king himself, King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was insert, inserted for us some years later after Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. And so this testimony was given by the king himself, explaining what happened and when and really how it came to pass and also the why. So today's sermon, I entitled it to be that it's, it's called the conversion of a king. The conversion of a king because we are going to see the conversion of what it is. And if you see chapter 4, you're going to see that it looks a little bit different. There's a lot of indented paragraphs. There's a lot of different sections within chapter 4. So we are going to treat it that way because there's really about three scenes, three areas, if you will, that are where the king declares and where the king is talking in this Document, And so we are just going to work through it as scene one, scene two, and scene three. And so scene one is going to be the king's declaration. 
Now, the king's declaration, now if you have your Bible, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, it reads, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miracle, miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an internal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now we're going to pause right there, but keep your finger there because we're going to come back to it. So when you stop to consider the fact that those words were noted, they were written by what you and I would even call a pagan king. So it is really unbelievable to read what he is saying now. Because Nebuchadnezzar wrote those words himself. And then Daniel took it and put it into the book that he wrote, which is Daniel thus making it part of the Holy Scriptures. And as you look down through there, you're going to notice several, several things. Like in verse 1, if you look in verse 1, we notice the person of the declarations. So go back to verse number 1, where it says in the very beginning, Nebuchadnezzar the king. Nebuchadnezzar the king. And so Nebuchadnezzar made this declaration because he knew what God has done in his life. Now, if you have your Bible open, I want you to flip over to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so you're going to want to just keep it open because we are going to look at it. Now, in Psalm 107, we're going to begin and we're just going to read verse number 2. Psalm 107, verse 2. It reads, Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Hmm. And so, in verse 1, he's making this statement, Nebuchadnezzar is king. Now, it's really important that you catch that. So I want to make sure if you're marking or taking notes this morning to make sure go back to Daniel chapter one or chapter four and make a star or write it down in your journal, wherever you take your notes and make sure you star that Nebuchadnezzar is king. Because if you've been with us the past few weeks, last week, or even two weeks ago, you'll realize that there has been a difference in the way that Nebuchadnezzar is even speaking. He's speaking in a different way. He's speaking in a different tone. And if you know Nebuchadnezzar pretty well, if you've, if you've read him and you've been here, then you would know that this is not the way that Nebuchadnezzar would have described himself at all. If you'd gone back just one chapter or even two chapters, especially Nebuchadnezzar, if he was bringing and mentioning himself in an official document, he would have listed out a very long and lengthy list of all his titles and the great, and the great things that he has even done. And all the lands that he was over. And all sorts of those kind of things. 
But here in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 1, he simply gives you enough information to know who is being talked about here. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. But watch this in there. Watch it. To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's basically King Nebuchadnezzar's way of saying, hey, everybody, listen up. Okay, that's his way of saying that. And if he was to call a press conference and, and he was to call all the international news agencies, they would all show up if he was to call them. And they would all show up gladly. Now, if, if I called all the news agencies, I'm just going to say, I just hope y'all show up. Okay? Okay. But he had something to say. And he wanted everybody to hear it. So here it is, beginning in verse 1. Look at what that part says. Peace be multiplied to who? To you. Peace be multiplied to you. And now I know you're tired this morning, and it might have been even difficult to get out of bed this morning and get up in this type of weird, uncomfortable, heavy pressure weather. Okay? But do you already sense a tone, a different tone that Nebuchadnezzar is setting? The languages that he's even using, the words that he's saying, peace be multiplied to you. I mean, if you were here last week, you would have just seen that he said, turn or get burned. He said, bow down or you'll be thrown in the fiery furnace. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, this exact same king was the king that said, and he said, give me the dream and its interpretation. And if you don't, well, I'm going to chop your heads off. Okay? Remember that motivation? Okay? That was his motivation right there. So now what we're hearing today is a completely, completely different tone of what he's saying. Peace be multiplied to you. So something in him has changed. Something in Nebuchadnezzar has changed. So that is the person of the declaration. But then notice the purpose of the declaration in verse number two. Because in verse number two it said, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a responsibility. He's actually got several responsibilities. As you notice, he's got a responsibility to God. And God has done something in his life. And his responsibility is to tell. His responsibility is to tell. And hey, by the way, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, amen? Amen. And if God has done something in your life, if God has done something in your life, then you owe it to the Lord to testify about it. You owe it to the Lord to tell somebody what God has done in your life. There's no such thing, get it? There's no such thing as an undercover Christian, okay? There's no such thing as an undercover Christian. He's got a responsibility, his responsibility, okay? But then also he's got a responsibility. He's got a responsibility to the people he just listed out. Now, I know somebody needs to hear this message this morning. 
Because he says, all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all of the earth. He's got a responsibility to God. He's got a responsibility to people, and then he's got a responsibility to himself. God has done something in his life. God has done something in his life, and it's riling up within him, and it's just about to burst out. Now, picture this with me. Okay, picture this. We've all been here. You go to the grocery store, you know, the place that we dread of going, okay? We've got to do this, but we've got to do it if we want to eat. We go to the grocery store. You got your buggy. You got a full basket of items. You go through the checkout. You check out, and you decide while you're in the store, you know what? I'm going to get some pop. I'm going to get some Coke. I'm going to get some Dr. Pepper, whatever your favorite soda is, okay? You're going to pick it up, and you're going to put it in your buggy. You're going to take the rest of your groceries. You're going to pay for it, of course course, right? We're going to pay for it. Okay. I didn't get that many amens. I'm kind of concerned. Okay. It's okay. We'll repent after. We'll repent after. Um, so anyway, so we, there, you're going through the store. You get out, right? You get one of the young ladies or young men to help you unload everything in the car because that's what they're there for. And of course, you're giving them your money, so why not use them? So they're coming out there with you. They're getting everything in the back seat of your car. They're putting everything out and they get it all along the back seat. Now, you are about to drive home. You get in the car, you put it in reverse, you back up, you start driving, you get back on the highway, you're about to head home, and as you're headed home, there is somebody in front of you that brake checks you, okay? They slam on their brakes, and you have no other choice but to slam on your brakes if you don't want to hit them. So, thank you, Jesus, you didn't get hit, you slammed on the brakes, but in the moment of you slamming on the brakes, all of the food, all of the pop, all the soda went flying into the seat in front of it and fell on the ground. Now, you are just thankful at this point. You are just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I hope that's what's coming out of your mouth. But you're saying, thank you, Jesus, okay, that I didn't get in a wreck. You get home. You get everything out. You get everything inside, and you say, wow, that was eventful, okay? I had to go to the store, which I dread. Then this car, man, I deserve a soda. Okay, so you go. You get everything put away. You get this soda, and what happens when you open up the soda that just shook up, that just went on the floor? You forget about it. Doesn't, isn't that amazing how we forget about it? And then we just open it up, and what happens? It goes all over, starts fizzing, it starts going everywhere. Well, let me tell you, it's like that with Nebuchadnezzar. He's about to spew out. He's about to fizz out. But let me say something. You see, with a soda, a soda loses its fizz. A soda simmers down. But as Christians, we are not to simmer down. We are to stand strong on his word. We are to keep spewing out, keep spewing out. Don't get comfortable where you are. Don't get comfortable with where you're at. If you're comfortable, you're doing something wrong, okay? You shouldn't be comfortable. You should constantly turning. You should be constantly wondering, what is God doing? I sense his presence. Man, that moment when we were driving, that moment that we were going, and I just started laughing because I knew Satan was fighting. I knew what he was doing in so many lives within this body of what Satan was coming and attacking. That was heavy on my heart with so many here this past week. And I knew, and I told Jared, I said, babe, God is up to something. Okay? Instead of focusing on what the negative was, we start focusing on what God is doing. 
We don't see the full picture. We won't see the full picture unless he gives it to us. So our eyes have to stay focused on who? Jesus. Our focus has to stay on him. So Nebuchadnezzar, back to our story. Sorry, that was a freebie. Okay? Okay. He has a responsibility. He has a responsibility to God. He's got a responsibility to all the people, and he had a responsibility to himself. That is the purpose, to get what's happening in his life and to share it with everybody for the glory of God. But then also notice the praise of the declaration, okay? The praise that came from this pagan king, starting in verse 3. Look at just the beginning of verse 3. It says, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from what? Generation to generation. So he's praising God. It's in the verse right there. He's praising God. He's singing out a chorus, this praise chorus. And so he's praising God. And he's praising here for his power. But watch where he talks about the signs and wonders and how mighty are his wonders. So great, he's talking about signs and wonders and how mighty the wonders. That they're so great. That they are so great. He's talking here about the power of God. And then he goes on to praise him for his perpetuity. Now, I know that's a big word, and some of y'all are saying, what? The perpahua, okay? Perpetuity, you can write it down. You can go home and Google it later, okay? Figure it out, look it up later, and you'll figure it out. But he had an everlasting kingdom. And he talks about from generation to generation. And so he's praising God. He's praising and telling all the people what God has done in his life. Now, here's what I want you to understand today, this morning. Did you know that every king and every kingdom comes and goes? Okay? Except God and his kingdom? Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, amen? Come on, guys. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is from generation to generation. So now Daniel understands. Now, Daniel chapter 2. Flip back a couple chapters, like one or two pages back. In Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 44. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 44. And we're just going to read a little bit of what it says. Starting in chapter 2, verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Y'all remember set up from last week? Okay. Which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever, inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out from the mountain without hands, 
and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. Now, this dream, at the end it says, this dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Or some say trustworthy. And so God, let me, let me just get y'all's attention. God is to be praised because of who he is. Okay? If you ever ask why should God be praised, it's because of who he is. God is to be praised because of what he is. God is to be praised because of what he's done. God is to be praised because of what he's going to do. And God is to be praised for what he's going to do. And let me tell you this. God is to be praised because he is God, okay? He is God. He deserves our praise. This is what Nebuchadnezzar, this is what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He is testifying about what God has done in his life. And here's the thing. You only effectively, you can only effectively testify to what you have seen and what you have experienced. And so scene one is the king's declaration. But then we move on to scene number two. And here's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And scene number two, I've, in, I've, I've put this point as the king's dream. As the king's dream. Now we're going to pick up in verse number four. But before we put, and before we start reading verse number four, I want you to put your bookmark there because we're going to work our way through this dream in just a minute. But it was a time of peace and prosperity. And then, and when God sent this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar has already admitted and really announced that God was sovereign, okay? I want us to go back to chapter 2. So go back a page or two and look at verse 47 real quick. In chapter 2, verse 47, it says, The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you can reveal this secret. Okay, now we just read that. Now let's jump over to the second time over in chapter 3, beginning in verse number 28. Now in chapter 3, verse 28, we're going to read from 28 to 30. It says, blessed be the God. Whoa. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels, his angel, and delivered his servants, who trust in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, motivation, and their houses shall be made into ash heap. So why? Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. 
So he had already announced twice that God was sovereign, that God is sovereign. And so this dream that we're about to work through seems to be the third time that God had dealt with his heart just to make him understand who's the real king here, Nebuchadnezzar or God. So God's dealing with his heart. And this dream was really the last straw. And it really shows us that a person can know God's power without yet knowing God's person. Did y'all catch that? Okay, we can know there's a God, but knowing what he looks like and what he is is completely different. So now, in chapter 4, verse 4, we're going to begin. I... Nebuchadnezzar was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. And I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the vision of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers come in. And I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. Now, if you've been with us, it's kind of like deja vu all over again. Haven't we already seen this two other times? So he's there in his bed, and he gets his dream, so now he's afraid, right? He's shooken up, shivering in his bed. He doesn't want to wake up. Instead, he's getting those covers, like he's scared of pulling them over his face. And then he calls in all the Chaldeans, all the soothsayers, and he calls all the wise men in, and he says, Hey, I need you to help me understand my dream. But nobody could help him. Nobody could help him interpret it. So he's got this real problem. Enter Daniel. Now, I want you to look at verse number 8, and we're going to read 8 and 9, and we're going to work through this. In verse 8, it says, But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. Now, will you just put a little star beside there? Because at the end of the ninth message, I'm, I'm going to come back to it. He said, the spirit of the holy God is in you. So he knows that. We know that. And no secret troubles you. Explain to me the vision of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. Then he gives the dream. But watch this in verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and it reached to the heavens. Mm, sounds familiar. And it could be seen to all the ends of all the earth. Now, look here. Are you catching a theme here in the book of Daniel? You've got this statue back at chapter 2, 
two chapters earlier where we see this statue reaching up to the heavens. And now you're in Babylon. We go back to Babel, the Tower of Babel, stretching where? Into the heavens. So here you have a tree rising up and stretching into the heavens. And it can be seen at every end of the earth. But let's read verse 12. And its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Let's keep reading. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher. Now watch this. A watcher a holy one coming down from heaven. Verse 14, he cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and let the birds from under its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of the heavens. Now watch this. So we've been reading here about a tree. And the tree is stretching up to the heavens. And then a messenger comes down. And you're chopping it down. And you're stripping it off. And you've got a stump. And you've got a band and you've got bronze, and you've got green grass. And then it says in the next little phrase, and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. And then verse 16, let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast, and let seven times pass over him. Are you still with me? Do you see how the image changes? You've, got, you've gone from a tree of some sort of a man who's then a beast and seven times. And now somebody might say, how long is seven times? Well, I don't know. But whatever it is or however long it is, it's the perfect time for what God needs to accomplish. But look at verse 17 and 18. It says, this decision is by the decree of the watchers. And the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men gives it to whomever, whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream. Now watch this again. I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation. Since all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are again. For the spirit of the holy God is in you. So Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it frightened him. His astrologers and wise men and soothsayers cannot interpret it. He knows to go back to who? Daniel. 
Belshazzar in his language and get him to come and interpret the dream because he's done it already before. And now Daniel's before the king and the king's going, now, here's my dream. And by the way, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar is laying there. I, I, was, I was thinking, how is this happening? I don't think he's laying there just on a couch and Daniel's sitting there with his legs crossed on. All right, well, what, what do you think it means? Uh-huh. And, and what did your mama think of that? Right, right. And your dad, what, what was he saying? Okay. Now, I don't think it happened that way at all, okay? I don't think it happened that way at all. But look at what verse 19 says. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time. Watch this with me. Just read the words. Read the words. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time. And his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. But let's stop right there. This is a guy who has been taken from his homeland, Daniel. He's put in captivity. Now, if I was Daniel, I'll be like, yo, Nebuchadnezzar, you did this to me, so this is what it's saying, all right? You got it. It's what happened. But no, Daniel didn't do that. Daniel did not do that. It's almost like Daniel is hesitant. He's hesitant. He's kind of saying like, I wish this was about your enemies. I wish this was about those who don't like you. I wish that I could tell you that this wasn't about you. But look at verse 20 through 22. But the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached into the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant in which was food for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown to become strong, for your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. So Nebuchadnezzar got what he wanted. Nebuchadnezzar got what he wanted, and now God is acknowledging that. God is acknowledging that, even through this dream that he had sent to Nebuchadnezzar. But verse 23, I'm going to read this pretty quickly. And as much time as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, now we could call that maybe like an angel, coming down from the heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave its stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with dew of heavens. And here we go again. And let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. 
They shall wet you with dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the power. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So what he's saying here is he's saying, king, if you'll just get right with God, if you'll just get right with God, if you'll just understand, if you'll repent, maybe this dream won't come to pass. Again, this is Daniel who had been kidnapped from his home. No telling how many of his family members had been murdered by the hands of this king. But do you see it? See, he's not happy over it. Daniel is not happy over it. He's not happy to give him this. And he says, if you'll just repent, maybe this won't happen. If you'll just acknowledge that God is the God of heaven, he's the most high. If you'll just do that, maybe this won't come to pass. And then Nebuchadnezzar tells us what happened. And so you've got the king's declaration. You have the king's dream. And now you've got a dilemma. You've got a dilemma on your hands. So my third point is, the king's dilemma. That's scene number three. Because he knows what's going to happen. And you know, there's, there's even a song that is from a Christian contemporary artist. You might have heard it. It's titled, You've Got to Get Right or You'll Get Left. Okay, some of y'all might have heard that. And Daniel has told him, get right with God. If you get right with God, maybe... Just maybe. But then Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to remember, hey, look, if Nebuchadnezzar was alive today, if Nebuchadnezzar was here today typing in his journal, if he'd been writing it into his notes, he'd been telling you what happened. And Nebuchadnezzar recounts their beginning in verse number 28, his dilemma. So let's read this verse real fast. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Now watch this. Picture this with me. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. So Nebuchadnezzar is saying, man, look, I've built all this. This is mine. I built this. And by the way, you start, you start spouting and puffing off what you've built. God knows what you did. God sees what you're doing. God knows even where you parked, okay? So while the words was still, verse 31, in the king's mouth, 
He hadn't even gotten it all out. God knows what he's thinking about and saying. He hasn't gotten it out yet. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The king has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen. His body was wet from the dew of the heaven till his hair had grown like eagles feathers and his nails like birds claws. Am I the only one that's saying ew? Okay, I mean ew. Can you imagine what he must have looked like with that description? Today, we see someone that looks like that, and we would say they're a little bit crazy. They're on the crazy side. He, maybe he's lost his mind. I mean, his fingernails? Ugh. Okay? Get out of there. That's nasty. Not taking care of his hair. Just got out there like a beast roaming around. Just like God said he would. Just like God said he would. But then, verse 34, and at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, notice the change? I, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation all the inhabited all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Did you catch it? He's lifting up himself. And as a result of lifting up himself, God has brought him to a very low point. And down there, where he was living... He lifted up his eyes to heaven. God gave him his understanding, changed him from the inside out. And here he starts praising God, the praise of what we would say a pagan king, praising God for who he is and what he does. Last scripture, and I promise we're getting done here. 
Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor, my splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. Now watch this. Watch this. We're about to close. It says down there, now I, Nebuchadnezzar. Did you notice anything? What did he leave off this time? Yeah, king. Because he knows who the real king is. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wrote all of this at the end of his experience. He wrote it all down. And Daniel grabbed it and put it into this book. And I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he put it into scripture. There's so many things that we can learn from this scripture. And one of those things is that God is sovereign. Amen. Amen. We have some people running around today that think they have the monopoly on the sovereignty of God. No, they don't. A man by the name of Adrian Rogers said, a man who doesn't believe in the sovereignty of God is a sheer fool. Some of you might be saying, well, what does sovereign even mean? It means king. It means he's large and in charge. He's the boss. That's what it means. And so God is sovereign. And let me tell you, whether you believe it or not, God is sovereign and he will always stay sovereign. Can we all stand? You see... It says in scripture, I know the spirit of the Lord is upon you. I know that God's working your life. And as a result of that, you're able to interpret these dreams. And I'm just going to tell you, God still uses, God still uses spirit-filled men and women to share the word. Sharing the gospel there where you work, in your workplace, not just here at church. We think so many times this is where it is, and yet it's not. You see, God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace, and no matter where we are, and I just wonder how many times how many of us are thinking and how many of us are really truly like a Nebuchadnezzar, or should I say a King Nebuchadnezzar, where we know the sovereignty of God, we know who's in charge, we know who's boss, but we have never experienced it ourselves. Come on. 
I'm curious on how many of us truly understand and get to know Christ in a supernatural way. To where he changes you from the inside out. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you, Lord God, for what you are doing in this place. Heavenly Father, I continue to ask that you will just fight the battles, Lord God. You know the hearts. You know where my brothers and sisters are, Lord God. You know where the congregation is, Lord Jesus. You know what battle they're fighting. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that they will turn it over. And they will give it over to you. That they will give it over to you, Heavenly Father. We love you. And we praise you. And we worship you. And we thank you for what you've done. In your mighty name. In your mighty name we pray. Everybody in this room said a great amen. Come on, let's give it up for God this morning.